everybody. Welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined again by Patrick Moorhead, Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. It's been a short break since our last episode, Pat. I know. I know. We just keep cranking this out. And uh, it's funny, this is supposedly the dead time of the year, you know, the run up to uh, to MWC in, in Barcelona. And well, guess what? A lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I would I would wait. I would say that uh, basically since like last March, last CES, uh, almost, there has been no dead time, right? AMD, Intel, NVIDIA, all these guys have been doing a ton of stuff uh, to keep everybody uh, on their toes, for sure. Today, yeah. we're going to focus on um, some, of the, some of the more enterprise and server side things that we found interesting over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I, I think the, the first one we want to touch on is actually a sort of a new player, not exactly a completely new player, uh, but a new company and a new name that maybe some of our listeners haven't heard of yet or don't have a lot of detail on yet. Ampere, uh, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, uh, is a new player in the world of server processors, a fabulous semiconductor company, if you will, that is going to be using ARM-based architecture, led by Renee James, who is a former president at Intel. What have you learned about these guys and kind of what their background was uh, going into their, not not their major public reveal, but their most recent public reveal? Yeah, so it's interesting. A little background would help. <clears throat> right now, uh, Intel has about 99, 98% unit market share of server chips. And uh, high tech or any market, that, that's just odd. And, and therefore, there's room for other players. Uh, Intel obviously has pricing power uh, on this, and on a per socket basis, yeah, they've been able to garner uh, a lot higher prices uh, when there hasn't been a whole lot of competition. And now recently, uh, we have AMD with Epic, uh, we have uh, Qualcomm with with Centrique, and then there were a handful of these ARM-based server companies. Uh, some uh, are still living, some died. Uh, you had Calzada that brought out the first uh, 32-bit chip. Uh, You had uh, Applied Micro, uh, which uh, had a a very robust, I'll call it a big core, ARM core, 64-bit offering. Uh, They were acquired uh, by Maycom, uh, which is actually the genesis of this company. Yep. Um, uh, Ampere, uh, with some uh, uh, Carlyle Group money, came together bought the assets and IP of, of Maycom's uh, Applied Micro X-Gene assets. And, and so here we are, and, and it's Renee James from Intel, but also uh, some folks from AMD, Intel, Apple. Um, I, I think some, some very credible folks here. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I, uh, I, I got to talk to Renee uh, a couple days before these these most recent announcements came out, and I and I have to say that you know I, I had met her before, I knew about her background. She came off as a very credible person in this interview, right? She she knew the strengths of what her company was, she knew the weaknesses of her company, she she understood what where she could target and go against Intel and where she couldn't. Um, she knew where they sided with AMD and some of these uh, viewpoints on the future and direction of hyperscale cloud stuff. Um, I, I believe that they have 
a significant advantage in terms of leadership there compared to other ARM-based companies, right? Qualcomm is yeah. an enormous entity, uh, but they don't have a, a ton of experience there. They're bringing people in that have had experience, but but this company, Ampere, is, is really starting with a flagship leadership team that I, I do believe will give them uh, advantages moving forward. Yeah, I, I talked to her on Friday. I talked to Renee, and I felt the same way. Um, I feel like they are coming out a bit early that they don't, you know. So, for instance, uh, there was no discussion on who's running sales, who's running marketing, mm. or who's running business development. Um, I thought that was, I thought that that was interesting. And the one thing that that I feel really good about is they're not starting from scratch. Here's what I know for certain: is that anybody's first server chip will never be any good. Um, you know, we saw that with. Um, uh, Broadcom, uh, we saw that even you know Samsung wasn't ever officially in the market, but you always have to get that first design out of the way. And technically, this is the fourth generation. If you you know there were three generations of applied micro uh, silicon uh, to get this right, and there aren't many people who understand how to do general purpose silicon out there. One of mm-hmm. the reasons that. Epic has seen such good success is this is not is not just because of the binary compatibility with x86, but this isn't AMD's first rodeo. Uh, they had a very successful run uh, with Optron. So that to me is a is a plus. And I think each of the folks that were that were highlighted, uh, you know, from, you know, either, you know, Atik uh, or Greg Favor uh, from AMD, uh, they, they oozes uh, credibility. Yep. Agreed. The, the, the target that they are going after with this part is is similar in nature to what we have seen other ARM-based server <laughs> designs really go after, right? The, exactly. The, the kind of web-based, the big data, the storage. Um, and and when, I, when I mentioned earlier about how we're in areas where they agree with AMD, you know, I, they mentioned a lot of single socket designs. Their first architecture is all single socket. The, the next part that they plan to release out in 2019 Ampere I'm talking about here will will support multi-socket, but still the emphasis will be on single. Um, it, it's an interesting landscape shift of the server infrastructure. Um, and they they have a lot of advantages in that space that Intel can't really offer, right? The Ampere talked a lot about um, their performance per watt advantages or performance per dollar advantages. All of that obviously dependent on specific workloads, um, which is usually the case when you talk about these server designs. Everybody has some specific area where they are advantageous in performance per dollar or watt, uh, and no difference here. Um, I, I do think, again, this the the first generation is is based on xgene it's it's something that is kind of well understood i you know i don't know what their potential for actual revenue is in like 2018 seems to me like it's pretty low though they do have a good partnership in place with uh uh, their odm oem partner lenovo right which i think is actually uh, a big advantage for them already yeah it's going to be interesting to see here i'll you know one thing i want to i want to talk about is is just how good of a job intel has done in this market playing whack-a-mole you know i i look back when calzada started and then you had uh, intel uh firing up atom servers right it was all about low cost it was 32-bit uh performance uh wasn't that great 
uh, pr storage uh, was probably the number one application. And then that, that blew a lot of the ARM folks kind of out of the water. Uh, even Marvell was in the game. Uh, and then it was, oh, higher performance with an SOC for cost-optimized mid-range performance. And then, boom, we saw the first instantiation of, of Xeon D. Uh, and then everybody started to get into fabrics. And then Intel bought two fabric companies. Uh, Fulcrum uh, was one of them. Uh, and then, boom, Intel has fabric. So Intel has done a, played a great whack-a-mole here. Uh, and I'm, I can't help but to think, though, with all of these credible players in the market, and now, you know, um, I still have to do a lot more research on Ampere to see mm -hmm. where they really are. Uh, I think it's, it's Intel will lose some market share in, in 2018. Uh, to uh, to other other players. Yeah, it, it's almost impossible to not when you're at 98, 99%, right? Anytime some new product comes out with any kind of weight behind it, you're going to see you're going to see some of that there. You also uh, had in here in our notes to talk about some IBM Power 9 updates. Uh, this is something that I don't have a lot of experience with the IBM with IBM on the server side. Um, so give me a little bit of background on, on where they stood with 8 and what changes you expect to see with 9. Yeah, so um, uh, first of all, uh, power is, is more than just about the processor. So it is a big core processor. It can run massive SAP loads. Uh, it can run massive databases. Uh, but what, what, what IBM has done, it has really leaned in and architected for next generation AI, machine learning, and big data. I mean, I, I like to call the power platform as the Swiss army knife of acceleration. Not only do they have PCIe Gen 4, but they have uh, NVLink, they have CAPI, uh, which essentially optimizes, um, optimizes the entire uh, system for acceleration. And some of those are memory coherent, some of those are non-memory coherent, so it literally is the Swiss Army knife. Um, and they've been super successful uh, at uh, Coral uh, Labs, HPC, and, and the new Power 9 uh, amps it up uh, even, uh, even uh, further. Um, they brought out uh, the AC922, uh, server that was uh, really focused on uh, AI and ML. You can pair four NV, uh, NVIDIA uh, V100s, mm -hmm. uh, either in water-cooled or um, air-cooled configurations. It's a, it's a serious beast. So that launch um, earlier or late last year was the big outing of Power9 for, let's say, these uh, new workloads, uh, and for new customers, uh, and this second launch that they that they that they recently did uh, is about uh, current classic uh, IBM uh, customers, and uh, what they're calling it is is future forward infrastructure. And again, you have to market uh, to, to these big enterprises, these banks, uh, yeah. in a different way than, let's say, you market to a National Labs or, or even to somebody like uh, uh, a Google. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, what, go ahead. What's your quick, uh, quick take? I know, I know you said, uh, you know, you've, you've kind of limited uh, uh, time you've spent on this. Yeah. But 
What, what are some of your initial thoughts of even Power or, or IBM? It's interesting to me just the the, the way that they brand as uh, you know processor to platform to software infrastructure, right? And it seems to me to be pretty unique in the industry. And I know a lot of other players like Dell and HP try to do this in a similar way, uh, but but the the power processor architecture gives them a unique position in this in this space in that they offer variable. Uh, performance metrics because of it, right? And I imagine in some places it's better and in some places it may fall behind what you get from traditional Intel designs. But, you know, Dell and HP are kind of limited by the products that their partners are willing to produce. IBM in this in this power infrastructure, the Power 9 design, for example, they they have the flexibility to do whatever they want, right? And like you said, they focused on those high-performance computes Entities with the first uh, the first round, and now they're kind of getting into the banking business and, and other other side of it. It's it's a really interesting shift from what I'm used to seeing in the in the server field. Yeah, so in a way, they're like Apple, right? In in that they have the full stack. In fact, um, if you look at the operating systems that that they're targeting here, it's you know AIX, which you know it's funny AIX goes all the way back to uh, mini computers. Right, and and then was uh, put on power, um, uh, IBM I, and really any any Linux flavor. And then every system ships with a virtualization layer called Power VM, an open a full OpenStack layer yeah. called Power VC. Uh, you know, which you would put in, let's say, uh, instead of um, uh, you know, you can do your own OpenStack load and and put it in there but with IBM it's the full solution which which again is, is targeted at their at their current customers and there's one th- one comment uh, I met with IBM a few weeks ago and uh, one of the stories they told me uh, is you know it, it highlights I think the reliability and the expectation of these customers was this was a, a power five customer and they, they were upset that they had to reboot the system after nine years. <laughs> think about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so think of uh, uh, transaction processing. Think of massive retailers. Think of uh, massive carriers and, and telcos. Uh, think of massive financial institutions, which, by the way, IBM owns. Most of the transaction processing in in all of global finance happens on IBM systems. So, but this is the type of expectation where you might have somebody who's upset that had to reboot once in nine years. Okay. Yeah. So, when, when this new uh, when the new Power Nine comes along, in in one way they're trying to motivate those older systems customers to move, but also they're motivating uh, their current customers to do new applications, whether it's IoT. Uh, mobility, uh, the new types of applications that that people are doing uh, to go on them versus either the public cloud or uh, x86 on 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 private cloud. Uh, one of the things though is that that interestingly enough, like Apple, is even though they bring out the full solution, they also have some serious tech. Right, they're the first um, first system with PCIe Gen four. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen exactly what the benchmarks are, but uh, IBM hasn't let me down as long as I've been uh, tracking them for a decade. 
they're promising 50% uh, performance increase over Power 8, which by the way, versus Power 5 or Power 6, it's probably a thousand times uh, performance. Um, uh, four terabyte in two sockets, and the benefit there is, let's say you, you have basically HANA running. Instead of spooling out to disk, you're running it uh, all in, in a scale up architecture, which is going to give you uh, the best performance. You can't do that on on an Intel uh, system. And then, you know, they have 25 gig links already for for I/O. So mm. think of accelerator cards, which which is magnitudes higher than any other platform out there. So it is a it is a very special platform. Yeah, the PCIe 4 integration should offer double the bitrate and transfer rate as Gen 3 while still being backwards forward compatible, which is uh, not an insignificant specification for a servers in this class, right? Right, and then if you want, uh, if you want memory coherency, you, you get NVLink 2.0, you get OpenCAPI yeah. 3.0, and you get CAPI 2.0, and... Um, Open Cappy is 300 gigabytes per second using that 25 uh, G link. Impressive. Uh, and it's incredible. Impressive. Let's uh, move to talk about Dell's recent announcement with AMD, basically that they uh, had availability. I think we'd seen announcements that Dell was going to use AMD's Epic processors and systems, but now they're actually available for sale. Um, Dell and AMD have a have a lot of history going back, but AMD obviously had a lot of problems with uh, getting competitive processors uh, and, and processor cores, I guess, for server infrastructure as well as consumer spaces. Now that seems to be behind us. the The consumer is is a the consumer PC space is a much quicker turnaround for revamp and reloading and 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 shifting in architectures. Dell and the enterprise spaces took a little bit longer, but they're finally here. Um, what did you learn from from this? You know, the the either the Dell and AMD history is it kind of being revived? <laughs> uh, uh, what impact the China market might have on this too? So. Full disclosure, actually, I'm, I'm sure everybody knows I'm an ex-AMD guy. I was there for 11 years, um, and I helped launch Opteron. So mm. that was back when AMD had over 25% unit market share. And Dell, quite frankly, was a laggard uh, in, in adopting it. And what we found out uh, after an SEC investigation of Dell is that is that uh, Dell took a billion dollars of payments from Intel not... Uh, to do Opteron. So <laughs> everybody realized kind of what what happened there. That isn't, you know, you can look it up on your own. So I was a little bit skeptical whenever I hear about Dell EMC using an, an alternative non-Intel processor. But I will, I, I have to say, I, I have heard everything that I need to hear uh, to be convinced that, that this is a very different situation. So, you know, first off, uh, Dell isn't a laggard here. Uh, they're right up there with uh, HPE. Yeah. And in fact, this is the first um, uh, server that's uh, vSAN uh, certified. And that's a big deal uh, when you look at um, VMware and, and, and solutions like that. Uh, so yeah, and, and there's no restrictions in channels. The same Salesforce is going to be selling it. It sounds like they're going to be promoting it and not hiding it. 
right. uh, like like the company did when they first uh, brought it Opteron. Um, but you know, we'll see. So I'm cautiously optimistic that that Dell is going to do something with this. Um, I like their their targets make sense, right? Either software defined uh, server HPC with single socket and uh, a virtual virtualized uh, workloads for for HP, mm-hmm. sorry, HPC. Um, I do, I, I like it. Um, I, I might be convinced that uh, Dell is, is taking a non-Intel platform seriously. Yeah, and they're they're releasing both single socket and dual socket configurations. The R7425 is, is the two socket configuration. Um, and and Dell is, is not being shy about talking about the performance and cost per, you know, performance per dollar advantages that these platforms offer over the two two socket Xeon systems, uh, especially in some some of those again specific workloads, I/O connectivity, uh, anything about you know memory capabilities, you know large memory pools, uh, core density, I/O connectivity, feature consistency, all that type of stuff. You know they're they're leaning into it uh, more so than I than I had seen in the past, which is great news for AMD. And these do appear to be some of the high volume parts. For Dell, this this family of servers, right? These aren't uh, some secondary or tertiary system that that nobody ever utilizes and is in a family that nobody's ever heard of. Which is, you know, maybe something that we might accuse Lenovo of doing with the APUs <laughs> on the on the laptop side, right? Um, Dell didn't do that. They didn't create a special line for AMD. They included them because they believe they're competitive. Yeah, and and it's actually three platforms. Um, there's the 6415 that is, is focused on edge compute. It's a single socket. Um, there's the R7415, which is focused at, uh, software defined storage. Uh, and it's the first Epic that's vSAN, uh, ready certified. And then there's the R7425, uh, which is an HPC focused on, um, uh, fluid dynamics, hmm. and that's really a testament uh, in part to AMD's um, uh, very, very good HPC performance. Uh, whenever you're using AMD's floating point, uh, it does very, very well. Uh, any apps that are are focused on Intel's AVX 512, they do really, really well. Yeah, for so, sure. It really depends on that HPC apps. You know, blanket terms uh, don't don't work here. You really have to get into computational fluid dynamics, uh, as an example. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring up edge computing. It kind of brings it to our to our next story. Intel's release of the Xeon D twenty one hundred processor. I think it may be useful my interpretation of edge computing is is variable right so a lot of people in the consumer space when you refer to edge compute you're talking about your devices your laptop your cell phone your pc this is moving things from the cloud to the edge right someplace where computing can happen on your local device in a server uh, infrastructure or from a server point of view edge computing is basically moving things away from primary data centers and closer to those consumers that will be touching those servers, right? You mentioned here, you know, the edge is growing because of 5G rollout, IoT implementations, virtual reality, mobility, um, um, self-driving cars, autonomous vehicles, those types of things. What about 
the server infrastructure has to change in order to better address <clears throat> edge compute? Yeah, so, so today's model is really, you know, I liken it to the mainframe model, which is particularly when you look at these big public clouds uh, from uh, AWS, Azure, uh, GCP, which is everything has to flow into this gigantic uh, data centers or multiple data centers. The problem is when you increase the data by 20x, that is not a good model, right? Right. It's, it's essentially the mainframe model. So what you're seeing now is, is you know, I hate to call it the mini computer model uh, or the, maybe even the PC model, but it, it's moving the compute closer to the data. And, and areas where this is important is, is when latency is an issue. Uh, when you're using, um, when you have a self-driving car and you're trying to look around the corner to another car, uh, that you can't see with with your object uh, detection system, uh, it has to be really really fast. Uh, when you when you are doing any types of uh, switching or or let's even call it uh, hospital computing with uh, robotic surgery, you can't have any latency. There's a security uh, thing too. Ceteris uh, paribus, all things equal. When you have less hops. Uh, on multiple systems, it is going to be uh, secure. Uh, and then there's this whole notion of locality and mm -hmm. whether it's uh, the new German laws that, that says, hey, anything, uh, any, any data from a German citizen needs to be put on uh, servers in, in, German, uh, in Germany. Hmm. It, it's things like that. So, and, and going from kind of abstract to reality here, we're talking about uh, carrier networks who are getting uh, off of the old PowerPC and MIPS architectures to standardizing on x86 and, and ARM, and also getting ready uh, carriers for this, this amount of IoT and 5G data that's going to come down their throats and, and, yeah. and really create applications to monetize that, right? It's not just about the carriers being dumb pipes, even though I am uh, suspect uh, when a carrier gets into anything but the dumb pipes, I think managing IoT networks and running applications at the edge is is a great opportunity for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, it's also a great opportunity for these system vendors, right? So if you're, if you're Intel uh, with your Xeon brand, if you're Qualcomm with its centric, uh, a centric brand, if you're, you know, AMD, right? These, these edge computes are either going to be new or uh, vastly upgraded existing infrastructure, right? So it's a huge potential growth spot for all of these, for all these entities. Um, and Intel and in, in their discussion and marketing and, and the launch material they put out for the Xeon D2100, you know, they're talking about metrics like 2.9x improvement in network performance, all these comparisons to their previous Xeon D1500, uh, 2.8x storage performance, 1.6x compute performance, you know, much higher memory capabilities, uh, you know, AVX512, we talked about that before, 100 gigabit per second uh, uh, capability for cryptography and decryption, all these things are crucial components for those very reasons that you just mentioned. And maybe more importantly, or just as importantly, is the efficiency of these parts too. Because if you look at some of these specs, they aren't anything new that hasn't existed 
in current Intel Xeon product families, right? You know, you've got anywhere from four to 18 cores uh, available in these in these different products. But their TDPs are basically limited to 100 watts or so and go down into the 60 watt range. Um, understanding that power efficiency at these edge locations is going to be more important because you don't have or you can't guarantee that you're going to have the same type of power infrastructure, cooling infrastructure, um, and environments, right? These may be outside in uh, very hot environments, near cell towers, uh, that you don't have the benefit of uh, multi-million dollar cooling solutions in uh, big server farms. So That's it's right. interesting to That's see right. the mix for them and, and the changes for them uh, with this product family. Yeah, and from a carrier point of view, you know, you're in your neighborhood and you see that big cement bunker uh, every yeah. once in a while. It's in every neighborhood. Well, that used to have old switching equipment in it for analog phones, and and that and it's funny. You walk into one of these, there might be one rack of equipment now, because we we have gone so digital, and and you may not even be able to have a fan in there or. You don't. You want to increase the likelihood that nobody's going to have to go out there. And this is the same for enterprise IT serving IoT and and storage. Let's say you're in a retail store, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're in a in a Walmart, uh, and you know that you don't have an IT department, but you want to be doing real time analytics of people for your store, uh, and uh, or even doing checkout. Yep. So. And with CSPs, uh, you know, let's think of, of Netflix or somebody like that who works with AWS to, to be able to stream all that video and have it in multiple types of, of configurations. It has to be close to the network uh, to, to decrease the amount of latency for that. And that is another, uh, it's an edge video uh, workload. So looking at the, the, the first uh, customers who signed on, to, to ZND 2900, 2100, you get the, the sense of exactly who this is. I'll put the ODMs aside for a second, but but when you look at the the OEMs, it's kind of a who's who, right? It's it's Dell EMC, it's Ericsson, it's mm. uh, NetApp for storage, you got Palo Alto Networks, uh, ZTE for carriers. Mm. Uh, the only two big missing folks for me uh, were HPE and Huawei. Uh, HPE has has a very sophisticated edge computing play right now. In fact, they they took uh, moonshot servers that were super dense and did that as an edge play, and they even have you know NVIDIA GPUs in them. Hmm. Uh, and then Huawei, who has about uh, half of the market compared to an Ericsson and a Nokia right now, they were missing. So I'm trying to piece together. Okay, is Huawei's edge compute play primarily their own silicon, high silicon, and what's HPE's play? Are they just later to announce, or are they going to engage heavily with uh, AMD or or somebody else uh, on their edge compute play? Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I, I, I think as, you know, even through the rest of this year with the heavy emphasis on 5G, the heavy emphasis on IoT, you know, autonomous driving, all that type of stuff, I actually think the the discussions we have around edge compute in this in these contexts will be more important um, than we've than we've really ever seen uh, as we basically see un, un, un never before seen growth in that space. At the yeah, same it is, and, and and I'm wondering at what point does AWS start 
deploying edge compute, right? AWS's whole model is dependent on a centralized model. And I'm curious what their play is going to be. Microsoft already has their play. It's Azure Stack. It's Azure IoT that that runs on certain sizes, and it it works hmm. uh, symbiotically with Azure Cloud, right? So you have data that can be processed at different levels in the stack, and, and it makes a lot of sense. VMware has their play with VMware Cloud. And also, uh, I attended Dell's I- IQT day, uh, kind of a catchy phrase, not the IOT, it's the, <laughs> uh, you, know, inter- you know, it's, it's um, an intelligent uh, compute right. on the edge. So I'm just, I'm dying to know what, what AWS is going to do because edge compute blows their model away, but you know yeah. they're just not going to sit, uh, sit on the edge here. No, they've, they've been in a leadership Ta-ta-ta-ta. position for so long. It, it would, it would, it would shock me if they didn't have some plan in place for this. Although, if they haven't, if they haven't been talking about it yet, they're they're obviously a little bit behind at the very least. So yeah, I, I uh, you know I may be hearing some things out of Taiwan that uh, they have their own uh, maybe their own boxes uh, coming it. out for edge compute. So interesting. All right, I think that's going to wrap up the episode for us this week, everybody. Uh, you can find all of our podcasts at thetechanalysts.com. Uh, you can also subscribe to us through iTunes or Google Play or any of the other locations where you download your podcasts from. Patrick, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks.